You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Janice Legata, and this is God Has Not Given, an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith and conversations with friends about fears we were given and ways that we are finding power, love, and sound mind. So on the podcast this week, my friend, you have met him briefly in the episode before this, Nate Nacal. And Nate, I know tangentially and allegedly through Hillsong. Yeah. Uh, we were we were serving our sentences at the same time. Yeah, yeah. and you served a longer sentence. Though. You got you got in there before I did. We probably <laughs> left around the same time, but you definitely started before me. I committed way more crimes, so I did way more time. <laughs> and so then, yeah, I've really only gotten to know Nate in, in the outside world after mm. our releases yeah. and <laughs> connecting through through this good old trauma. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're yeah. Uh, we're trauma bonding. Absolutely. <laughs> and doing it, doing it, and doing it well. I have been on Nate Nate's podcast, podcast with his fiance, Full yeah. Mutuality, and they're just really really good people. I really enjoy Aww. them. These are my my friends. Support support their stuff. Go check out their podcast. Janice, um, I feel yeah. the same. we feel the same about you, so it's mutual. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I do, and I fully appreciate it. That's, uh... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's Nate. And this week we are talking about, well, it is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, Appreciation Month. What um, is it? Heritage? History? I don't even really know. This is, so we're doing so this is, we're, yeah. <laughs> So this is how this is how it rolls for me. And and this is kind of part of it, too, is that because of my upbringing in very white evangelical spaces, my I guess my awakening to my racial identity as Asian American came very, very late. And and I think that's also part of what it is to be Asian American is that it, like you, you probably heard the phrase Asian erasure, and that's something that we we all sort of take on. There's this invisibility that we all kind of live with. And part of that was even kind of being invisible to myself and not recognizing the community that I was a part of here in the U.S. Yes, I, you know, I fully understand my Japanese-American, you know, my, my ethnic identity. Uh, I'm biracially Japanese-American, Filipino-American, but as an Asian-American, I don't think I've really grasped that until fairly recently. So things like Asian-American Pacific Islander History or Heritage Month, that's that's a new phenomenon for me, you know? So, and that's part of what I'm working through right now is my racial identity. And it's it's hard. Man, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All those things. So we'll get we'll get much much more into that. Yeah, we will. Um, we will. And the, the evangelical evangelicalness of it all, and I guess all the trigger warnings because tragedy upon tragedy is already happening, and we already had some things to talk about. And then this weekend was Oof, just God. so. Yeah, this is <laughs> this episode is going to be a lot. But we're supposed to play a game first, right? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> um, so this is just this or that. I'm just going to give you a choice between two things. Just see, see what you say. So TikTok or Twitter? Hmm. Um, Twitter only because I don't, I rarely open TikTok, but 
now that Elon Musk is involved, I don't know how I feel about Twitter. So, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know how I felt about Twitter um, when Trump was involved. So who knows? Work from home or go to the office? Ooh, this is an either or. I'm going to go with work from home, even though I do like bumping into my coworkers. I like the people I work with, but I think I think I like not having to iron my pants <laughs> more than I like the people I work with. <laughs> Valid. Fourth of July or New Year's Eve? Ugh. Um, New Year's Eve because I I haven't really celebrated Fourth of July in a few years. And New Year's Eve, I get to eat a lot of good Japanese food, so so I'm down with that. Coffee or tea? Coffee. I I can't. I can't not. <laughs> roller skates or roller blades? Roller blades. I'm a hockey player, so yeah. Rain or snow? Uh, snow, because I, I recently took up skiing, and I really enjoy it. The yeah. book or the movie? Uh, wow. It really depends on which... You know what? Dune is the most recent thing in my head, and I love, love, love that book, but the, the visual experience in that movie theater was something else, so I'm going to go with movie this time around. Phone call or text? Hmm. Phone call because I am really bad at replying to texts. So uh, <laughs> I I just forget. And then next thing you know, like the text is down because I've gotten like a whole series of other texts. So it's down near the bottom and I got to scroll through all my texts to catch up. So yeah, phone call. I, I will answer the phone if I recognize the number or if your name pops up. But you'd probably have to text me three or four times before I actually reply to something. <laughs> Marvel or DC? I grew up on DC, so I'm 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 gonna stick to DC. Yeah, even though like I'm I'm a big X Men fan, but but I gotta I gotta hold on to my my immigrant buddy Superman. So. <laughs> and finally, Hillsong or Hell? Hell, man! <laughs> this is gonna be better parties, and. I'm I'm not going to be on a talkback mic in hell. So <laughs> Now, give me three ways to locate you right now. If I want to find okay. Tim, Tim, if I want to find Nate, where am I That's looking? Okay. You are looking west of the Hudson from from New York. You are finding spots that serve Taylor ham. I did have to bring that up. Because one of your because earlier Tim, guests, which yes, is the same I was Tim. thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did bring him up. I did have to mention, and I'm going to call him out. I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but I do want to say, you you can't just matter of factly say pork roll and not acknowledge the fact that there has been a civil war in this state for probably a century over whether to call it pork roll or Taylor ham. And I, I will, I'll, I'm actually speak just briefly in defense of those of us who say Taylor ham, because look, I, I know, I know what you're going to say that it's the product name versus the brand name and fair, but we all say Kleenex, right? And I don't hear people as a hockey player. I don't hear people saying ice resurfacer. People say Zamboni. Zamboni's the brand. Ice resurfacer is the product. So sure, Taylor is the brand. Pork roll is product. You can do what you want down there. Just 
leave us alone. We like saying Taylor Ham, okay? <laughs> That's it. The, the, uh, rant over. Oh, and uh, a, a third way to locate me, I guess, in... I'm going to stick with geographically because that's the only thing that's popping up in my mind right now or maybe not geographically but um place anything that's any place that serves a good whiskey <laughs> I'm, right. I'm probably there so there you man. go i am i am all right in fact i've i've got a scotch in hand right now because nice. I, I feel like I, I feel like i need it for for tonight's conversation <laughs> you're not wrong so yeah so that is where you are now but nate how did we get here? What is your your religious faith church? Yeah. Background? So I grew up in a segment of Christianity called Independent Fundamentalist Baptist. And I was there for about almost 20 years, probably about 18 years of my life, including four years at kind of the, the hub of fundamentalist activity, Bob Jones University. So to kind of describe for, for those who are not familiar with the independent fundamentalist Baptists, those are the Christians that are, have, have all sorts of rules that govern um, your life. And I realize that it doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> but so, so some of the rules that, that we had were things like, you know, you were, you were not allowed to get tattoos, you were not allowed to drink alcohol, you were not allowed to go to movie theaters, you weren't allowed to listen to rock music, or really any music where, um, and for you musicians out there, where the in in a four four measure, the beat, the second and fourth beat were emphasized. That kind of music was off limits. So we were only allowed to listen to music where one and three were emphasized in a four four measure, which is boring. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so that was kind of um, the the upbringing. So of of course anything like uh even speaking kindly about the lgbtq community was completely like they wouldn't i got i i will give them <laughs> points on on being clear about where they stood on uh on queer people because you know you know there's there's no ambiguity there they weren't hanging a welcome home sign and and saying hey you know you're you're welcome here they they would just you know hold hold up picket signs <laughs> mm -hmm. with god hates you know homophobic slur on there. So um, that was the world I came from. And um, after after I graduated from Bob Jones, I left fundamentalism, had kind of, I guess, the, the beginning of a deconstruction process, something of a crisis of faith that led me into the kind of mainstream megachurch style um, evangelical world. And I ended up at a, at a church that was kind of Baptist in its tradition, but it had, you know, you could, you could drink the pastors, you know, after a long day at church, they would go grab a beer. Uh, there was, there was rock music being played, you know, people were wearing jeans. That was another thing. We weren't allowed to wear jeans when I was growing up. So people were wearing jeans to church, which was novel. <laughs> and then from there, I actually ended up, I ended up working at that church as a children's ministry director for a little while, and then got a job offer full-time to work as a children's minister for another large, uh, I guess, modern style church. Um, this church ended up being more in the vein of the Mars Hill style, like Mark Driscoll's old church, the very hyper-Calvinist, you know, God's wrath, humans are totally depraved. They really emphasized the, that kind of theology. Um, they were big on 
God in complete sovereign control over every minute detail of uh, of every aspect of the universe, past, present, and future. So, you know, that's a the, they loved the micromanager God. Um, they were really big on that. And then um, I remember starting to I drank that Kool Aid for a little bit, and after after a couple years, it 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 started to bother me. Um, I think reading verses like you know First John four seven and eight that says, you know, God is love sort of started to poke holes in, in that theology. So after I was asked to leave, um, asked to resign from the ministry there, I laid low for uh, a few weeks before, um, finding my way into Hillsong, which was kind of the opposite of that in terms of still inside the evangelical world, but it, they, you know, Hillsong loved to, to talk about God's love. So that was what drew me to to Hillsong. I didn't get that sense of, you know, God's wrath and anger and justice ju- or judgment on the earth. So that's that's where how I ended up at Hillsong. And Hillsong, they they do talk about, you know, this is a a, a large church and the pastors don't really do the job of pastoring. So they kind of put that on you as an individual. You know, you're supposed to be mature enough to pastor yourself. So I did take it upon myself to pastor myself, quote unquote. And I, I read a lot of books that were probably off limits in most, you know, evangelical spaces. And I got to studying and took a lot of the stuff that I learned when I was in Bible college um, and started applying them in new ways. So a lot of the Greek and, well, mostly Greek, because I, I didn't really take Hebrew, but, you know, a lot of the Greek that I learned, I started discovering things that didn't quite add up to how evangelicalism teaches. And that all of that promptly started pushing me out the the door over time. So, and then that's how I ended up where I am now. I'm sort of an agnostic, sometimes theist, sometimes atheist, and I I'm a, a member of a, a church in the United Church of Christ, but um, you know, not really not really holding on to any sort of dogmas or beliefs. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a long journey in and a long journey out, mm-hmm. and even. Yeah, listening to your story, like I'm wondering if there's anyone who goes from, I mean, there must be because there's someone for everything, but who goes from like no music on the twos and fours, no jeans, just that very strict upbringing to agnostic who who like just leaves. Or do we Mm. all kind of like go go on this progression where we find like we try to make it work, right? Mm. So we're, okay, this seems, that seems like a lot, but yeah. No, I still believe in God. I'm still good with the wrath, right? But yeah. I would like to be able to wear jeans. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here. Yeah. And the music is better, so I can be here for yeah. a while. And then, ah, yeah, this love is getting in the way. So mm-hmm. I'm going to come over here. The music's even better. Now we're wearing jeans is almost like a uniform. Like, yeah. you look weird in anything else. And it's all about love. Oh, you mm-hmm. want me to pastor myself? Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. But now I'm going to do that so much so that you're not going to like it. Yeah. Because now I've got questions. And now, yeah, this this doesn't fit either. So now now I'm out. But it's like, yeah, just this, this progression of trying to make it work. And I don't know, for me, just, just feeling like, oh, no, like God is less and less, less and less involved mm-hmm. to where... Yeah, at this point, like, I think I'd always, Christian, I think, will always be the first religious label for me, just because that's, that's the only lens I know, like, it, even if I'm yeah. looking at anything else, 
I'm always looking at it through what I learned as a Christian. Yeah. So even my disbelief now, I know what I disbelieve based mm-hmm. on what I believed. Yeah. And I, I, I think I tapped into a little bit um, for, for a while. I was really exploring um, Shinto and Zen Buddhism. To, and I think part of that was trying to grasp a sense of my ethnic heritage yeah. to understand where I come from. Because let's face it, I'm not, I'm not the dominant species in, in places like Emergence and Hillsong and Liquid Church or, or even and the church that I grew up in. You know, I am, I am a minority, which is, it's a weird thing to really grasp as somebody who worked so hard as a kid to not be seen as a minority. You know, I, I, I remember when I was little, um, I think I was in first grade or second grade, and I brought some snacks into into school. We could bring snacks in for, I forgot, maybe it was story time or whatever. And I brought uh, a little package of nori, the, the dried seaweed. And, you know, I opened it up. And of course, I got a reaction from from my, my classmates. And it it generated enough of a reaction that the teacher said, don't bring that back because it's distracting the rest of the class. So... I remember that distinctly as probably one of the first times that I recognized that I was different from the the norm in in my classroom and I I wanted to to fit in, you know. And and part of uh part of growing up in a white environment is is adopting, you know, the the dialects and accent of of those around you. But I remember making conscious efforts at different points to not sound like uh, my dad or not have, you know, uh, some of those inflections that my mom has in, in her English. And a part, part of me re- regrets that quite a, quite a bit because I, there are times where I, I wish I could, you know, I, identify more strongly with, with Asian Americans or, or with some, some other identity, you know, and when I, when I go on podcasts, I mean, you and I can see each other, but when people listen to me, they often think, oh, it sounds like a white guy, which fair enough. I, sad to say, I did spend a a chunk of my childhood wanting to be white, you know, so. Yeah. So leaving, leaving Hillsong, leaving any, any of the churches, did your racial identity play into that at all? Or is this something you thought about kind of post? Um, I don't think it really played into um, me leaving, though it was something I was trying to grasp as as I was in the process of leaving. And I, I think if I had stuck around a little bit longer, it probably would have. But I left shortly after Donald Trump was inaugurated. Well, probably a few months um, after after he was inaugurated. So I, I, I think... I think I I I didn't notice quite as much. I I knew that that there were probably people around me in church who voted for him, but I didn't have that. You know, it wasn't really kind of in my face, and I I didn't stick around long enough for a lot of the other sort of um, issues to really begin playing out. So I think I think had I stuck around longer racial identity might have played into me leaving but but at the time that that wasn't it i, th- I think at the at the time there were a whole a whole slew of reasons not the least of which being how i felt as a volunteer 
and and the workload there but also there was um you know my my growing desire to be much more vocal about my allyship of um of lgbtq people and i didn't feel like i could be very vocal at hillsong especially after the things that had gone down over the the years that i was there so i just felt like you know maybe maybe i should walk away from the space and mm-hmm. yeah so that's that's probably what pushed me out the door yeah so what what a time to be having mm. like a personal racial kind of awakening cuz i think back i think back to cuz i also left yeah just post the inauguration i left officially in july of mm-hmm. 2017 but i hadn't been since since mother's day and i had only i hadn't actually been since like february yeah. and and it's hard it's hard to look back now with any kind of real remembrance of what it was at the time because like we have so much hindsight now and you know because even when trump got elected like that election was was shocking and, and whatever but i mm-hmm. think we still had a lot of much more hope and kind of trust in our systems and the checks and balances yeah and and there was just this this sense that oh everyone's just overreacting like yeah it'll be it's gonna be a little chaotic but but again we have these systems we have these balances like things yeah it's mostly gonna be fine and then we watched all those systems crumble right so thinking back to the 2016 election like it was very clear to me where where black people were like mm-hmm. what we were thinking i knew where white people were um i knew where they were claiming to be where they were pretending to be and where where they were but asians were a blank yeah. to me i was like i don't know i don't know mm. um and as as two racialized groups in the u.s i mean i think everybody everybody is pitted against black people Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a racist, or it's a racist country, but it is specifically anti-black. Yeah. And so, yeah, every other marginalized group gets it. They're also discriminated against, treated terribly, and also are used to batter us down and to compete with mm-hmm. us. Well, you guys are whatever, because model right. minority, Right. we got the Asians, and the Asians yeah. are doing... They're fine. So, you know, looking back at the election, what what were you thinking? What were you feeling? And what what was your community saying? How have things shifted? Yeah, um, I think back around the time of the 2016 election, I I had already pretty solidified my my stance politically. And and that came around uh, 2008 for me. I think actually it was in, you know, following 2008, but 2008 was a turning point. It was the first time that I ever voted Democrat. But I I think as I was sort of looking at um, other, particularly East Asians, because that's, you know, my background, but even even Southeast Asians and, and South Asians, there there seems to be this light. And like you were saying, there is an anti-Black sort of uh, sentiment that 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 gets handed down. Um, and I have a lot of theories as to why that is, but as I was sort of watching how all of this played out, there's, there is a fear and, and there's a comfort, right? Like I I think, and I could be wrong about this again, like, like black people, Asian people are not a monolith, but if I were to posit some of the, the feelings that were going on, there is this fear of 
being othered, being sent away. I mean, look, the Asian, um, like the the Chinese Immigration Act wasn't too far away, and that wasn't really removed until 1965. You know, so you don't have you you constantly have this fear amongst uh, Chinese Americans, but Asian Americans um, in general, that you know the white man will kick us out. And so we want to keep our heads down. We we don't want to make waves. We're not here to cause trouble. And I think part of it is that, you know, we we saw the civil rights movement and we saw how how black people were treated. And I I think there is that that sense of, well, we don't want to be treated that way. So we'll keep our heads down. As far as the 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 whole model minority myth, it is this idea that you know Asians are well we're we're the good ones because look we can we can achieve things that black people can't supposedly but that doesn't take into account how Asian immigration post nineteen sixty five took place we were handpicked. It wasn't like the floodgates were opened and suddenly Ellis Island was made available to every East Asian person. We were, we, we were specifically allowed in based on whether it's business prowess, economic viability, skill, you know, uh, college um, awareness, education, um, wealth as well played into it. So, you know, post-1965... The Asians that were coming to the U.S. were very, very much, you know, with with some exceptions given, you know, the Korean War and the Vietnam War. <clears throat> but by and large, the Asians that come here are Asians of higher pedigree, you know, so to speak. So there's already a higher baseline. You know, we don't have, in most of our families, we don't have generations and generations of being beat down. And I'm speaking as um, Nisei. So I'm first-generation American, second-generation Japanese-American. So so I I have another friend who is um, Yonsei, so he's fourth-generation. And he has a different story because his, his background is the the Japanese American concentration camps. That's where his history is. So he has a slightly different take um, than, than I do, but it, it, it does boil down to the, the generations of being marginalized and discriminated against that, you know, our families as, you know, coming from an immigrant family, we don't have that history directly in our, in our lineage. So, so I think that that's where some of that comes from, you know, because we don't recognize what, you know, what black people fought for here. And, and I think part of that is also when, you know, when people uh, immigrate from the, the African continent or the Asian continent versus people who have been here, Asian Americans and, and black Americans for generations, um, there is a different outlook. There's a different approach to to things, and you, you tend to see much more criticism and less opportunities available. Because, look, let's face it. You know, if you've got if you have a history of if you have a history of slavery, if you have a history of incarceration, you're going to be more vocal. You're going to be more critical. That's just kind of <laughs> how it is. So, so when you were second, first, second grade ish kind of having that experience and realizing, oh, okay, I'm different. I don't want to be different. So let's let's start kind of widening it up mm. here. 
Now, do you do you speak Japanese? I don't. Do you? No. Um, I I I pick up words here and there. Um, you know, I, I tried to. I think I tried to learn a little bit, but again, I mean, at at the time in my life where I could have been learning, um, learning a language quickly. I wanted to fit in with my white friends. I wanted to do my, you know, things that that my white friends were doing. I didn't want to go to Japanese school. Uh, I I can understand a little bit of Tagalog, but that's because my my mom's relative, my mom's siblings, and and her parents were all here, so family gatherings. I'd be hearing a lot of Tagalog, but I can't I can't speak it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get context clues, and I can I can understand. I also pick up when when I'm being talked about. And and usually I know what's being said, so so I, I I'll call call out my mom when she tries to talk about me behind my behind my back, quote unquote. <laughs> so you're you're first generation, so like it's it's interesting to me, like how how quickly language is lost, and then I yeah. wonder like how much of that is is intentional, like like that's the American dream, right? To come here to become part of the melting pot and become whatever the thing is here. And then it's also, it's also the Christian dream, right? Like we're all supposed to be letting go of whatever we are. And no, you're not Asian. I'm not black. We are Christian first. Right. Right. And so now (laughs) to look at it and just be like, man, like that nationalism is just so tied up in it, like right from the beginning. Yeah. And we don't recognize it because we're here and we're in America and we think of whatever like that's like the dominant culture but yeah i don't know there's just something so so sinister about that like just this idea that that our racial identities kind of have to be stripped away like yeah. that, that is just naturally something antithetical to to christianity mm-hmm. yeah to, to like the gospel like there, there's a choice that you have to make and there are these parts of yourself that you just have to lose yeah um so you realized, yeah. kind of realized you're Asian in that that sense in school pretty young. Like, mm-hmm. were, were there moments in Christianity in church where you were like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm Asian. And they know that I'm Asian. Um, I, I do remember one, there was one Sunday when uh, it was at, at the, the church I was previously working at, um, Emergence, and uh, my boss comes up to me. And he had just been chatting with like the one black woman that walked through our doors one weekend. And it, it was a very white church, which um, I find ironic because it's in a town that's right on the border of a very black and Hispanic town here in, in, um, in New Jersey. And, and yet <laughs> it's, it's, oh, like, I mean, they were it was a lumberjack church like it was flannels and big you know brunette beards all over this place <laughs> and um i remember my my boss our executive pastor coming up to me after, after this conversation he had and and he said Nate you know we need to we need to figure out why we don't have more you know uh people of color here and i'm like why are you asking me <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah, I, I quick was like going through all the staff members in my mind. Who's on staff? Oh, because I'm the only. Uh. <laughs> so now I'm responsible for bringing diversity to this place. <laughs> 
He said, "You you seem to have all the qualifications to be our uh, urban pastor." So yeah, <laughs> that was uh, that was something else. <laughs> but I mean, you know the um, the 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 little the little microaggressions. You know that it's it's interesting how I I I didn't notice notice it so much at the time, but over the years, you know, you start to pick up some awareness. Like I remember in college, one of my friends was like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't see you as, as, uh, as Asian. I see you as like, you know, one of us. I'm like, oh, okay. Now looking back, I'm like, one of us. He didn't mean friend group. <laughs> and, um, and uh, is it, why is it because I don't have an accent? Like there's a, there's a big group of Korean kids and they all speak Korean with each other is it because I'm not speaking a second language why why am I quote unquote one of us and then you know that that circumstance um and I remember oh another one is, is I'm always the one that gets asked for restaurant recommendations <laughs> like hey have you have you been to the to this to this place you know this this buffet no frankly I don't like Chinese buffets but no I haven't been there like it's it's a thing <laughs> And so it's, I mean, it's such a, such a tricky, it's just a tricky thing to be non-white in, in white spaces. Yeah. Um, and learning to, and not, you don't even realize, but you're learning, you're learning to disappear, learning to, mm-hmm. to fit in. You're just adjusting in ways that you're not even, even conscious of. And then for me, it was kind of having to, I mean, I never, <laughs> I always knew I was black. I always knew everybody else knew I was black. Like yeah. there's, <laughs> there are just certain ways that we can't disappear, but kind of being fine with it because also having to deal with the exceptionalism, buying, buying into the rhetoric, buying into the anti-blackness and people don't seem to, people of color don't seem to be rising, No, but I can change that. I can be different because, because I'm different. Because I'm I'm special, I'm exceptional, um, and having to realize, oh no, I'm not exceptional, but then having to reckon with my own complicity, mm-hmm. and which I think is why some people, not just not just black people, I think any any people of color, any women, um, any LGBTQ people, when they do get to rise in these spaces. It's almost like a becomes like a double edged sword because then you oh, have yeah. to question why why right. you were picked. Mm-hmm. Like why they especially once I'm outside of it and knowing knowing all the things that they know, right? And Ooh, yeah. And being like, Oh, they were never ninety seven percent of they're not good people, they're not in this for good reasons, and they're trying to keep this system going. And so to realize at some point, oh, I was handpicked or I was chosen. So you thought, and for a while you were right, that I could be, you know, a good puppet, mm. right? Yeah. That I was a good carrier of this system and that I would play along. Mm. Uh, and that I did for a while. And some of it, I could change it. Uh, I thought I was doing the right thing. But yeah. then there does come a point where it's like, oh, no, this can't be fixed. And I, oh, I'm a pawn in this. Mm-hmm. And I'm a willing pawn. Still getting benefits this. from it. Right. Yeah. 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 I, <clears throat> I remember somebody saying, you know, like, 
oh, well, East Asians, I don't know why you're complaining. You're next in line to be white. And <sighs> and I hear that. And, and there are a few things that run through my mind. First being how that kind of rhetoric is is how we get turned into weapons against black people because it's that that myth that that you can you you're very close to be to being in power but when it when i hear stuff like that being leveled at me or or others like me all i hear is you're next in line to become invisible because what mm. what you're saying is that the the struggles that people like me have faced in this country whether it was you know chinese enslavement which we we often forget about because the emancipation proclamation 13th amendment slavery supposedly was ended for black people on plantations but when right. when we wanted to build that transcontinental railroad we had to find new slaves and oh look there's a whole other race of people <clears throat> so you've got chinese enslavement for the railroad and then you have you know japanese incarceration in in those concentration camps during world war ii you know it's one after another and then now what we're seeing in in light of covid we're we're not next in line to be white because the moment it it's convenient we are we're yellow peril we're a virus we're we're the disease that's infecting these shores and so i like and this is part of the struggle for me as as somebody who's asian is that i i know that there are many asians who don't see it who don't recognize it and want to cozy up to it because we do get benefits from it but at the end of the day we are we are not welcome in inside of white spaces you know we will always be seen as as different we will always be seen as other and the reason that we are given that little bit is like you were saying because of anti-blackness because it's it serves white supremacy to pit us against each other because it, it it keeps them in power you know and that's not to say like i have hatred for white people but there is a system that has been perpetuated that because white people are the the biggest beneficiaries of the system they are completely blind to it and so the reason i bring all of this up is is not to to shame or to attack but to to build awareness that these systems exist and that as the ones in power any any of of our white listeners you are the ones who are best equipped to dismantle it you know so yeah i mean at this i uh, with this past this past weekend, we had the the terrorist massacre in Buffalo. Yeah. We had another act of terrorism out in Laguna, and so I'll talk about Buffalo first with this this mm -hmm. this replacement theory, right? And like, what's crazy is so like you said about oh East Asian, well you're next in line to be white, and you're like, well that's not this basically just yeah the next to be invisible being being erased being replaced like i think about it sometimes like i've got my my 23 and me and <laughs> was was shocked at like the the european content i was like that's mm. that's a lot for both of my parents are black so there's no no direct right whatever so i should not be coming in at a quarter european like that that's too much and so sometimes i think about it and then you know you're engaged you have a white fiance. So if you were to have children, 
like do you ever think about or kind of worry about how because i think about it like if i were to marry interracially i almost almost feels like sometimes like like, am i doing a disservice am i helping this this replacement theory like like what they're accusing us of doing yeah is actually what's been done to us the whole time right like trying to for lack of a better like breed us out right Mm -hmm. and to to put us all on this scale of of becoming white right and of just kind of the melting pot right but we're what that means is these other ethnicities of things is melting melting away and it's like how do we how do we live in this society that is not safe for us as non-white mm. people live in a society that does not want us to remain but remain but also remain safely mm. like it's i don't know like there are just yeah. all these all these battles that we just have to fight internally externally just all the time that i think people don't you just don't even think about no do you do you think about the next generation uh, it like what what that would mean how you would handle it it, it pops into my head every, every once in a while um but one of the things that i i kind of hold to is that my my racial identity for me especially as asian american has less to do with my ethnicity mm-hmm. as a Japanese biracially Japanese and Filipino and more to do with the struggles of my people uh, of the of of those who phenotypically present like me and you know I as as somebody who's who's engaged to a white woman um i do realize that my genes are the dominant ones so it's it's very likely that you know if we if we do have a kid they will they will present more like me and and so that's that's going to be i think a struggle for both of us in in raising a minority kid and and something that she's admitted to me is you know if we do have a kid then you know the things that she's going to have to learn about raising a minority kid and from my own experience the the things that i don't want my kid to believe about themselves that i believed about myself when i was a kid that my parents were unaware of because they were immigrants um my mom might have been a little bit more in tune but um my mom was very very tied into the religious um aspect and and wanted so much to to and 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 to a degree still still feels very strongly about her religious identity but my mom mostly grew up here she she came to to the states when she was i think nine or ten years old but my dad didn't come until he was um he was an adult so i i think wanting to be able to to prepare my kid for those sorts of things and 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 to walk alongside them as they have those those struggles but yeah i think as far as 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 racial identity goes in in a place like the u.s in in a country that is a melting pot right um as as we say we I, i think it you know if if in in the racial history of the u.s there there was that that you know racist doctrine of one drop of blood right then i say if if you are even a fraction of a particular racial identity and you present as such and you experience life through the lens of somebody who is existing in that you know 
clothing, metaphorically, then you embrace that culture and you have, you know, if, if you're, if you're struggling against white supremacy, then you get to take on whatever culture it is that, that white supremacy and, and whiteness has decided that you are, you know, and if that's Asian American, then, you know, drink your bubble tea and, and raise your fists in pride, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I, um, that's, that's, that's how I feel about it currently, you know, who knows, you know, if, if the day, if the day uh, does arrive and, and I, I'm there with a kid of my own and, and trying to navigate it, <sighs> but it's something, it's those, those things that, that a lot of people just don't, don't realize that, that we think about, right? Like, yeah. you know, if, if you have kids of your own, you know, and, and you're raising them, the, the conversations you have about, you know, how, how to wear their clothes, you know, and, and, and is that a thing, you know, because you also want to want to raise a kid who's proud of, of, of who they are, but also recognizes that, you know, when you get pulled over, there are certain things that you need to say, do not say, and not do, you know, conversations that <laughs> majority of Americans don't even think, don't even think to have. Although if you stay, if you stay in New York City, maybe the driving conversation might not be something you have. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, I don't know. So, so like I said, it's, it's been a wild, a wild couple of mm. years, a wild, a wild time for you to be having a, a racial awak awakening Ooh, because yeah. we have the election, then we have COVID, which being blamed on china yeah. and so being taken out on asian americans and then last march the young christian yeah. terrorist who goes and kills those asian women um and so then we have the stop asian hate movement picking up kind of right right on the tail end almost in competition with black lives matter Mm -hmm. And so it's just been a really strange time because we have yeah. ultimately it's the same. It's the same enemy. It is all white supremacy, but we live in a capitalistic society, right? Where people only have so much attention span. People don't want to talk about this stuff anyway. No. So yeah. what, what has it been like to, to see black lives matter, to see stop Asian hate, and then, I don't know, I've, I've felt it as, as a Black person, just this sense of, of competition and, like, mm -hmm. wanting, wanting it all to stop, obviously. Yeah. But then also having these moments of, like, oh, well, if people are talking about that, if they're caring about that, then here we go, back burner again. And, yeah, you know, yeah. so... I don't know. So what has it looked like as, as an think, Asian man? Yeah, I think the conversation. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think the conversation for me, at least, has been about recognizing how tied in our struggles are. Right. If it weren't for the Civil Rights Act of 1964, there would not be the Immigration Act of 1965. You know, so we, you know, without the 13th Amendment, there is no 14th Amendment. You know, like Asian Americans owe everything to to the fight for black liberation. And and for us to have our own thing, 
um, without recognizing that there there is another struggle that not supersedes ours, but is very much tied into ours. You know, and and yes, it's it it's like the you know when you when you see people saying cancer research, you know, the the fight against cancer or whatever, and then you have people talking about breast cancer and people talking about testicular cancer. Yes, the 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 specifics of how they're treated and and who the the victims are, of course, are different. But at the end of the day, it's cancer, right? So at the end of the day, it's white supremacy. But the the fights, they might look a little bit differently on the ground. But we are struggling against the same thing. So I think the thing that that I want to remind Asian Americans about is that, you know, as as we see, you know, the the fight for black lives, as we see that improve and conditions improve for black people, we will see conditions improve for Asians, you know, and, and, and vice versa to a degree. But ultimately, the the most targeted group in, in the U.S. is certainly black people. And I think, you know, if, if we can get more Asian Americans on board um, with the struggle for black lives, I think we will see an improvement for, for Asian people by and large. What I, what I hope to see, and, you know, far be it for me to, to try to address black people, but what I hope to see from black people, because the other thing too, is that I think a lot of Asians are also seeing that some of the perpetrators of of the violence against Asians are black people. And that then fuels this sort of, well, it's not white people, it's not only white people that are attacking us, but it does come from white supremacy. Because like I was saying before, a lot of the hatred for Asian people from the black community is because white people have weaponized Asians against black people. There's that attitude of, you know, you look at black people and say, see, look at what Asians can do. Um, Why can't you live like that? Why can't you accomplish those things? And, and so I think that then fuels some of that anger towards us because we are, we are the weapon. And, and so, you know, I think that also then fuels that fear, uh, of, of black people in, in Asian communities. And that prevents us from addressing the, the very real problem of white supremacy. And, and that, that, that is the root of, uh, both of our struggles. But yeah, I think one of the things that, that stood out to me, I, I remember, when I was marching in in Montclair during the Black Lives Matter march, and you know I was chatting with a, a few of my friends afterwards, and and you know some of those text messages that were going around in, in the aftermath of uh, of the shootings, and and as each subsequent shooting or, or murder co- comes around, you send those texts, and I remember sending sending a text to to a couple friends and just saying, look, I don't I don't want to pretend to know what you're feeling right now, but if you need to talk, I'm here. And then when Atlanta happened suddenly, suddenly I know what that feels like. And, you know, I think, I think one of the things that, that I have, that I, that I've mentioned to people is that the, the silence is even more painful. You know, even if you don't, even if you're afraid of what, what you might say, if you might say something wrong, just say something, you know, and, and the best thing you can say is, I don't know how you're feeling, but if you need to talk, I'm here. But, yeah, so I, I I'm realizing I'm sort of jumping all over the place, but whenever I get into this conversation, my my thoughts just start flying around. Another thought that I that I had that really in the aftermath of of Atlanta was so frustrating and and something that I have to check in myself, you know, because it with with what just happened this past weekend, um, it was so obvious, 
and you know it he, he wrote a manifesto <laughs> you know whereas when when atlanta happened the guy said no it, it was it was my you know my sex addiction or my porn addiction and so that then turns into see it wasn't racism it wasn't race related so so then but the but the victims were asian women so how how can you say it's not race related you know right. so here we are you know the following year and it's so obvious it's race related so that conversation is off the table and there's a part of me that gets a little jealous like hey how come how come our murderer couldn't have written like asian in a manifesto right but i think you know for 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 me there's that reminder that this is what our this is this is what our struggles look like you know for asians there is going to always be the struggle against erasure and so even even when we're being killed there is always that question of but is it related to is is the reason you know that that he was asian whereas for black people it is the blatant militant violence that is that is at the heart of it targeted very visibly targeted um that you can't escape it so yeah but even that like that's we get we get the same thing uh, because when i think of atlanta there's no question to mm. me and so i think oh that is true it's, yeah it's white people right it's yeah. white people who are getting to set the narratives and who get to pretend to have these questions that's true that's true because no it, yeah yeah there the have been yeah there have certainly been instances of, of black people being murdered particularly when police brutality is is at the heart of it right. where where you do yeah i in fact i take back a lot of what i just said yeah it, it is it, they there is this tendency to minimize or even erase the uh the role that racism plays in in a lot of this violence but but yeah it is very blatantly obvious to uh uh to us um <laughs> to everybody yeah, else yeah. because i've been thinking even even these past few days because again the enemy is always always even even when it is these black men killing asian women right and mm -hmm. so they want to say well it's not well maybe it is racially motivated um but it's not it's not white supremacy it's always white supremacy it's always white supremacy even when it is people of color acting in these ways, right? Because I've been thinking about even just the language. Again, it all comes down to language. We just, you know, so this guy wrote wrote the N-word on his gun. Could mm -hmm. not be clear, except we just finished having these conversations about Joe Joe Rogan, right? Because it yeah. used to be that this is this is this is the one thing where we get to say, no, that's racist. And mm -hmm. now no, he says it a hundred times, but no, 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 you can't say he's racist. But the context, Janice, the context. Right. So it's like they keep they keep stripping away mm -hmm. like the clear signs. They want to muddy everything. So unless somebody says, and you better have written that manifesto like two minutes before you did it or be reciting it as you're doing it because they're always going to try to muddy the waters and yeah. say, well, we don't know. We don't know. Just the language of racially motivated. Like I've been thinking about that, you know, these racially motivated killings, this, you won't say race is racially motivated, but what, what race is motivating it? Because mm. when you're saying that, Nate, if you murder me and they say, oh, well, it was a Janice motivated murder. It's like you are basically you are blaming the victims mm -hmm. for their own murders. Right. Like when we're when we're not clear with our language, because, no, there is a race. These things are racially motivated, mm -hmm. but it's not Asian. It's not nope. black. It's nope. white. This is this is white yeah. supremacy. 
but you'll never say that. And so we keep, again, we keep, they keep playing with language and they keep keeping things unclear and we keep giving people the benefit of the doubt, but I'm like, this is all so strategic. So now Mm -hmm. we're arguing about, well, was that the primary motivation? So then we never have to deal with white supremacy because we can't say for sure because he wasn't yelling as he was pulling the trigger. I am killing these black people (laughs) due to white supremacy. It's like (laughs) we're taking their word for it. Like even the Atlantic killer. No, that's that's not why. Well, he said it wasn't. So (laughs) who are we to decide? Yeah, he said Otherwise. he had a sex addiction, so, you know, that's what it was. That's what it was, right? <laughs> and it's, I don't know, like, it's maddening. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's, there's like, nothing to say because there are so many things at play all the time. Like, we were talking about it the other day, like, yeah. like much, much, much lighter on the scale, you would think, right? So if you go on the dating yeah. apps, if you go look at the surveys, the numbers, <laughs> yeah. whatever, least desirable, always <laughs> like it's either you or it's me like, yep. we go back and forth for black women <laughs> yep. and asian men bottom rungs always yeah it's just a question yeah. of who who at the moment right but at and the what's same weird time, so on the just flip side a, of that yeah our counterparts yeah right? exactly <laughs> black men and asian women mm-hmm. some of the most fetishized yeah right and so so here we are, and we're in Atlanta. And like these things that don't seem related, that nobody wants to talk about, it's right there. Yeah. Yes, it's a sex addiction, which is not a thing, but okay. Mm-hmm, right. But it's a it's a <laughs> fetish. It's a fetishization. Yeah. Like where did where did that come from? Right. Right. White supremacy strikes yeah. again. But because we don't want to talk about that, mm. we can never talk about this. And so, you know, yeah. So me and you being at the bottom, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think as I, as I sort of kind of take stock on, on a lot of this, I, yeah, I get that, that sense of there's, there's always, there always has to be some semblance of othering, right? In order to make the victimization of that group palatable, in order to make the, the fetish fetishizing of that group palatable there's there's an othering of it you know why why does the 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 word oriental hit so hard you know that it's borderline a slur you know it's i I just i can't i can't escape that 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 sense of othering whether it's fetishizing or whether it's a sort of arm's length kind of categorizing objectifying Right. right. Um, yeah. I remember, <laughs> I say I remember, it only happened uh, a few months ago, but it was, um, it was, you know, I, I had gotten my third, my third dose. So, you know, and, and the mask mandates in, in the States were, were pretty much lifted, you know, in New Jersey, New York. And I was, I was driving up to Montreal and I stopped in a rest area. Um, want to go, go to the bathroom, pick up some snacks or whatever. I'm standing in line to, <clears throat> to pay for my snacks. And I, when I hopped out of my car, I'm like, I didn't see a lot of other cars in the parking lot. So I'm like, I'm just going to run in and run out. And I was thinking, I just got my third dose like two or three months ago. I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to take a calculated risk and run in. I'm not going to go fishing for a mask in, in my backseat. So I ran in, I'm standing in line to pay for, for my stuff. 
And I hear somebody in the store say loudly enough for a good group of people in the store to hear, you know, if anybody should be wearing a mask, it should be chinks. And I remember that, that, that feeling of, um, you know, you, you kind of, you freeze because you're like, you, a thousand thoughts run through your head. Like, do, do I address this? Do I, do I bring it up? Is anybody going to say anything? What, like, what do I do? Do I, do, do I want to start something? I'm in upstate New York. People are probably armed, you know, like I, you know, I lowered my head, went out, drove the rest of the way. But, you know, looking back on that, the, the sense of, of othering, that sense of like, you know, when, when people say and do those things, when they say, you know, go back to your country, you know, take your virus back with you. There's that it's, I don't know, it's, it's an objectification. It's an othering. That's what I keep going back to. And it's, yeah. So Janice, I want to fix the world though, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know how, like, like, like these things keep coming up, you know, I like, <laughs> and it's, it's, I don't know. Like, I mean, in the world, the world has changed just so much in the, in the past couple of years, definitely since, you know, we were growing up, I just would not have imagined, you know, as a high schooler having these conversations mm. in the year 2022 like this was no. not this is not in no. this is not any of the stuff that we we foresaw. i was hoping that you know vulcans would start to show up in the sky <laughs> right right like we're supposed to have you know flying cars and yeah you know, like i'm not in 2022 supposed to be nervous about leaving leaving my bubble like my area the places right. that i know like like i shouldn't have to think about i'm going upstate what what time are we leaving what time are we getting to where we're going because i don't want to be out on certain roads like i just don't want to be in places that i don't know because right. they're not safe for me right not just as a woman right but as a black person and yeah. so it's it's disheartening but also comforting in a way in a terrible terrible way that like oh now nate has to think about this too <laughs> yeah. like well maybe well, five years ago now. Right, you wouldn't have had to, and you wouldn't have right. understood that that yeah. for me. But but you do now, and so as awful yeah. as it is, like it's kind of good that oh, more people are understanding this experience. So mm -hmm. hopefully, we might still be years away from, but we can start to band together better. Yeah. Like unfortunately, yeah. you have to understand that you're in this in this boat too, and how bad it can be. Mm. But then it's also worrying how much worse it can still get. Like I. Watching, watching the insurrection, mm. knowing, just knowing, like, I shouldn't know that in, if that were me, I'd be dead. Like, no yeah. question. Like, like yeah. my, my, I am a second class at best, right? Citizen yeah. of my own country. Like, I just, I just cannot yeah. move in the world the same way. I just do not right. have the same right. And to know that and to now be at the place where going to the grocery store like part of it it's so i have this i mean you have to have this dark humor about everything right but first of all like the whole replacement theory like i said it on instagram the other day i've never been worried about being replaced by something that's not better than me yeah it's like how how are you you think you're supreme but you're so worried about being replaced yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't make sense but nope. then also you're you're planning out these attacks and you're you've written your manifesto and you're doing all of this 
to go to the grocery store, my dude. Like this is this is who. Oh my what god! Are we, I'm taking you for what a parking spot you might want in a couple. Like this, this, these are the threads to you. Yeah. Like you guys, you're not planning and going after Bezos or somebody who's right. actually like affecting your life. Right. Actually taking from you. You're not even going after. I don't know. What? Why didn't you find like the blackest military base or? Right. <laughs> like something <laughs> you're going to the grocery store on a sunday afternoon you're not attacking the blackest police station like yeah you're so you're so weak yeah and and like the whole point is just to strike fear and so now i'm like well we can't i mean you guys are so ridiculous and nowhere is safe for us and nowhere has been safe for for mm. so long in some ways i mean you're defeating your purpose all the time but now like all we have, all I have, is my blackness. And mm. it bothers you so much. So the best thing that I can do is be as black as I can. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy my life as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Because it means it means nothing to you. So it has to mean everything to me. Yeah. And we just have to live. Yeah. Because, again, what are we even fighting over? What do you want? This is not <laughs> no. a good country. Like, no. what are you what are you killing people over honestly it's not healthcare. (laughs) what is it shoot up an insurance company building or something no don't shoot up an i'm not saying i'm not putting that out there it's not we are not advocating for the murder of jeff bezos or insurance companies however but a grocery store really a grocery store a grocery store. What, like, what, what is he afraid of? Right. <laughs> but I mean, these are, these are the threats to you, to you, supreme mm. being. Yeah. Like, it's, it's the, it's the death rattles. It is the last gasp. Mm. Like, you know, you know, the world is changing. Yeah. And, you know, we've yeah. seen, we've seen all the memes, right? And all the, <laughs> the questions, well, why? Why are you guys so afraid of becoming a minority? If it's so yeah. great. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> yeah, it's so right? fine. We're complaining about nothing over here. Like, <laughs> you think we right. get all this great free stuff? Like, why <laughs> Why would you not be first in line? Like, yeah. race to it's the okay. bottom, right? It's great yeah. down here. <laughs> exactly. Come join us. This is... <laughs> <laughs> You've told us this is wonderful. <laughs> right. Get in on this party. It's all yeah. It's all happening. I um, will say our food is better. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's just God. I don't oh know. So how yeah. I don't know. As these things are happening, how Ooh. are you coping? How are you making sense of Um I don't know, like like you said, just like lean into my race, you know, I'm, I'm drinking all the bubble tea. Um, <laughs> no, I, yeah, uh, like I think finding these places, I mean, the, the pandemic has shown us that online community is phenomenal in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, uh, I know Facebook isn't exactly the place to be anymore, but um, I did find this group, the Black Asian Alliance Network, that has been a just a great place for for education and the community really 
lifts each other up and 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 works with each other because people will show up you know spouting some ignorance but they they are they're so good at educating and they're so good at at providing space for for people <clears throat> and if if you're white apparently you can join there too just you know keep your mouth shut as much as possible <laughs> you know sit sit and and let let the asian people and the black people talk i i find you know, find, I find comfort in that. I find, I find actually what has been great in the midst of all of this is it has, it has given me a sense of, of that Asian identity. It has kind of forced me to awaken to, to who I've always been, but to, to grasp it in all of its messiness. Because I think, you know, there, there, there could be nothing worse than being threatened for being Asian and not recognizing that I am Asian and not and not knowing where to go for 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 this, right? But to have those communities and and to, you know, I had I had a moment last year where I I realized, you know, all those petty little and I, I say petty, they 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 certainly weren't petty to, to the people who were living those those things, but the the quarrels between Koreans and Japanese and, and Chinese in this country. For those of us who who aren't immigrants and who didn't come from those those countries and 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 experience those wars, and I guess you know it's easy for me to say being you know biracially Japanese, you know, it's it's like the one in power saying, look, it doesn't matter, none of this matters, none of your race doesn't matter. <laughs> but but I mean, like I I find I find so much more affinity now with with my with my Korean friends, with my Chinese and Taiwanese friends, you know, and, and we joke, we joke about it, you know, <laughs> you colonized us for a number, for, for, for a number of decades, number of centuries. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Take your shots. <laughs> we were the white people of the Far East. I know. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the white people were putting us in uh, concentration camps. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's all messy, but I, you know, I find, I find comfort in in that in in the shared community, and i i do I do enjoy like you know just having a laugh about about it myself, you know, about my own complicity sometimes, um, recognizing you know the fact that uh, you know I I do crack jokes about how I didn't recognize that I was Asian American until I was in my thirties, so you know I yeah. That's that's where I'm at now. I think I I'm just leaning hard into into my identity, you know, and and finding finding others like me where we can share these stories, you know, and 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 I also I find I find myself shouting and maybe I'm shouting into the void, but trying to remind people of like I I'm so glad like Governor Murphy here in New Jersey signed a bill into law making Asian American history mandatory in schools. You know, so to to know that that's a thing, to know that people are going to learn who Vincent Chin is and or was and and why he was why he was murdered. You know, and I put that stuff up. I tell these stories because these are this is what makes up America. You know, sure you've got your George Washingtons, but you know we have our Vincent Chins. You know, we have our Michael Browns, and and our stories are are those of 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 being crushed and murdered for just being in our own skin. So. You know what? If you want to kill me for being in my skin, so be it. But then, then my my name will be on the lips of generations to come as a story of of that. And if and if that's not my fate, then I will I will carry those names. You know, 
I will say Michelle Go over and over again. I will, I will say Vincent Chin, you know, and <laughs> yeah. So, and I, and I cry tears. That's another way I, I cope. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's so much. I mean, there's so much to, it's just, a, it's just a mess. Like I think one of the, probably the most effective tool of white supremacy is to have us all squabbling over the crumbs over here. Mm-hmm. Right. And fighting. I don't even know what we're fighting for at this point to be yeah. the least, least killed. Cause it's like, it's yeah. not even like, I know. Right. <laughs> It's like somebody, somebody's got to be killed. Right. <laughs> we just, just don't want it to be us as much. So, so again, it's, it's disheartening, but also comforting. And kind of as, the, as, as things get worse yeah. and more lines get drawn, like people are being drawn closer together and we are realizing, no, like we're not, we're not going to make it out of here nah. without each other. So we've right. got to, we've got to band together. And I don't know, have you... Have you gotten to the point yet where anytime there's a news story, anytime something happens, right? Please, 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 don't let it be someone yeah. black. Yeah, ah, uh, I, I think I, I, there are a lot of thoughts that run through my mind anytime there's a, like a a news story. You know, one, I, I do, I do find that that sort of sinking feeling when I find out that a perpetrator is is not white, and not because I want a white person to be the perpetrator. Um, but, but because then I have to explain a more difficult narrative, something that's more complex and it's, it's always more challenging to do because then you're up against, well, see, it's not white supremacy even more than, than they already do when, when it's a a white perpetrator. But yeah, I find, um, I find myself more so now just dreading the stories, you know, um, and, and, but also realizing that, you know, like I, I don't want these stories to be invisible. And I I recognize that having been somebody who fought so hard as a child to fit in with white people, my my Facebook friends list and my Twitter following, my social media is full of white people. And so I'm I'm gonna be likely one of the only people to say the these things. So so I I I got to pay attention to the news cycle sometimes, but like, God, it, it's, it's rough. Like I follow this, this, um, Asian news account on Instagram and I've been following it for years, but it feels like the last two years have just been, you know, murders or attempted murders or, you know, violent attacks. And I'm like, wait, what happened to, you know, the, the lunar new year festival stories that we used to get? Like, where, where are those? Uh, my feed is filled with just like oh this person was shoved in front of a subway this person was stabbed this like we're this is all i get but i think it just it it when i when i look at it i just think these are opportunities for me to to tell our stories and if nothing else you know to hopefully somebody sees a pattern hopefully somebody in my in my feed recognizes like this is this these aren't isolated incidents these aren't one-offs there is a pattern here of of hatred against a group of people simply because they exist yeah so all of that all of that evangelicalism being in all these white spaces all this whiteness it was it was perfect to create you as a little a little sleeper cell little sleeper agent (laughs) (laughs) yeah you tried indoctrinating me (laughs) 
and it worked for a little bit. But here I am. I feel like, and it was funny because I was I was talking to my fiance about it, and just like, what age did did you know you you come out of? uh evangelicalism and I, I was like was it really 33 was i jesus's age <laughs> when i died to evangelicalism <laughs> i'll take the metaphor whatever he 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 overturned tables and you know i'm 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 all here for overturning tables like that's that, that was the thing that popped into my head when when you're talking about fighting to be like the the least killed i'm like that's the table um i want to overturn that table like we should be overturning that table. I, I don't want to fight to be the least killed anymore. Right. I want like right. like we should be fighting for our liberation. Absolutely. So yeah. And that's it. That's and that's it. Like I said, it's the worst. I mean, because it's the fight is already happening, right? Mm -hmm. Like these these attacks, these are terrorist attacks. Like these are an extreme group trying to maintain its power, trying yeah. to you know, strike fear into everyone else because they have already realized what we're still trying to sort out, which is we actually have the power. We actually have, we are in, in place to overturn the system. Right. Yeah. And as soon as we stop again, b buying into the scarcity and squabbling over whatever we're squabbling over, like if we all just stop and say, well, wait a minute, what are they so worried about? What are they so afraid of? Mm. Oh, it's us. Yeah. And if we actually, yeah, we can turn this tide. How? I don't know. I think, mm. I don't know. We've all been taught a lot of, a lot of fairy tales. We've all been taught, yeah. taught a lot of, of appeasement. And I think we all keep hoping, hoping, hoping for mm. a happy ending, but it's like empires, empires yeah. rise and empires fall. And there's no, there's no easy way to do it. And you can only you can only push people yeah. for so long and so far. Yeah. Before you, you go you go too far yeah. one day. I mean, like, yeah, for me, uh a goal would be to see us turn into like another country that has um a like a movable constitution, right? Because look, yes. let's face it, the constitution of the US does not include us. Um not at all. And and I those conversations you might have mentioned it on on a previous episode, but those conversations that that we have with people where they're like, no, the the, the Constitution it it's it's about freedom for you as a as a white man, but <laughs> but not for the rest and of that's us. It. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. We need a new one, and and we should be the ones to write it. <laughs> no, that's like that's pipe funny. dream. I realize a pipe dream, but other countries have done it. Other countries have constitutions that get rewritten when it's not working anymore. Right. Like, there should have been, like, a timer <laughs> on our constitution. Should been, like, there should be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, we're, again, we live in madness, right? Yeah. We live in this, <laughs> this Christian nation. So then you've tied Ugh, back into yeah. Christian nationalism. Because how are the two things guiding this nation, right? Are these old, mm. old documents the Constitution is the younger of the two, right? <laughs> and it's almost 250 years old. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Right, right. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't listen to anyone from either of those ages about anything no. else. No, right. But they had all the knowledge on how to form a nation, and we cannot question them <laughs> on that. Like, what? Oh, God. That's insane. Yeah. And the only like, reason you're doing it is because it works for you. Yeah. Oh, totally. 
Like that's it. The fact that I've had to 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 con- try to convince people like Jonathan Edwards is not somebody you should be forming your theology on. Like this guy was not a good human, but then for some reason you 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 take everything else that he ever said and did and toss that aside and say but he preached this sermon sinners in a hand in the hands of an angry god and by god that's that's what we should form our entire understanding of of christian fundamentals on really he's a slave owner he was he was anti-abolitionist in every way he wrote all sorts of potential sermons about the reason that like justifications for slavery and and none of that matters. But again, yeah. it's a mess. It's just it is. It's Ugh. like there's no no. Throw it all away. Throw mm-hmm. it all away. Yeah. Baby bathwater. I don't care. All of it. Yeah. We can get a new baby. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're gonna force us to give birth to it anyway. So. Right. <laughs> we got hundreds on the way. It'll be fine. We'll just <laughs> pick a new one. Right. And honestly, we'd be better off like letting an infant decide how we're gonna live <laughs> moving forward yeah right. uh, well we uh, elected an infant a few years ago so you're right we did try <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh, yeah so yeah wow so america's doing great um if yeah. you're listening to yeah. this episode <laughs> in the year 2042 this is yeah <laughs> Yeah, the historical documents of how it's it probably how it was yeah. going <laughs> after the fall of the empire. These are letters from the edge, truly. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> so as we, we finish up, we've done yeah. as much as we can do. Yeah. So I named this podcast "God Is Not Given" because of the Bible verse in Timothy that talks about we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And I feel like all we were given was fear so if we're taking it back and we are having and giving power love and sound mind Mm. if you could who would you wish power to who would you wish love to and what is something you wish society would get their mind right get a sound mind about Mm. everything yeah i would say for power you know the uh, the queer geeks, <laughs> your your love of of Pokemon and those those little video games that really like fueled incredible community, and that I that I admire and I love to see that. Um, partially because kind of going back to some of the, the previous conversation, I grew up in a place that told me that Pokemon was evil, and it's the the imagery in Pokemon is Shinto. So, like that is my that's my ethnic ethnic heritage wrapped up in what you're telling me is evil, and it's all fear, right? You're afraid of Eastern religion, so, mm-hmm. but but yeah, so so power to to those those queer geeks and nerds and, and gamers. I love that community. They're they're great to to be a part of, even though I'm not actually a part of them. They they're they're great to 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 have included me in in many other conversations love i i wish love to 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 those of you who are afraid of us you know i, I wish you could see how much love we have because uh, i know we we talk a lot of shit but that's because we we probably love ourselves more than 
more than you do. <laughs> so I, I wish love upon upon you and, and hope that you could learn to love yourself in all of your messiness and not hide behind your, your doctrines of total depravity and all of that bullshit. And, and a sound mind to those of us who are going to overthrow the system. <laughs> yeah that's what I got for you (laughs) yeah I'll take it we need it and I think I think we're getting it yeah which is bad news for all the systems right because it's we gotta rethink it all and we are yeah yeah um and like we said (laughs) you keep pushing us and all it's all it's doing is pushing us more into ourselves mm. and yeah we just keep finding out that we like it yeah. more and more and how beautiful it is mm-hmm. so any any final thoughts closing thoughts anything you have to say want to say that i i have to say eat more ramen just just do it it's good for you it'll make you happy <laughs> and that is that and i really don't know what else to say when it comes to this country, I ain't got it. <laughs> I am not hopeful about things getting better. And I guess that's cynical, but it feels like the most realistic thing to be because there's nothing I can do. It's not my problem. Anti-blackness is not a black problem. I mean, obviously, you've heard me talk about it. We struggle with it, too. But if every black person was cured of every bit of anti-blackness tomorrow, we would still be just as unsafe here. Because until whiteness admits to what it is, repents of what it is, pays reparation for what it has done, and deals with itself, there's no way out for any of us. And that's unfortunate and dark, right? What a bummer. And yeah, it is. But... It's also darkly liberating, in a way. I feel less inclined to be polite, to take the high road, or to play by the rules, because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And my life can be ended randomly, hatefully, anywhere, at any time. So all I have is the time I have right now, and as much as possible, I want to do what I want to do with it. If evangelicalism taught me anything, it was how to live with fear. And after a lifetime of being afraid of so many eternal hypotheticals, this present reality is almost light work. And I haven't prayed an asking prayer in years at this point, but I pray gratitude prayers pretty much every day. And a lot of those prayers lately are just being truly thankful to be black. The fact that there are people out there who are so lacking in their own humanity that they are unable to recognize it in me because of skin color, that is so stunningly sad and stupid that I just, I pity them. And honestly, you couldn't offer me anything in this world or the next to be anything other than I am. And I am Janice Legata. Thank you for joining me for another super easy breezy springtime episode of God is Not Given. Many thanks to Nate for volunteering his tribute to talk unending tragedy with me. To find him and more information on Team Taylor Ham. So I personally am on all the social media as Nate Nakow. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Well, not all the social media, but those three. Those are the three that I'm most active on. But I'm also... My fiance started this page called Full Mutuality that we then turned into a podcast. So we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter as Full Mutuality. Um, But you can also find us on fullmutuality.com and you'll find links to all of our things. And the podcast 
is uh, is sort of our main focus right now. We've uh, uh, we kind of just got started. We're about 15, 16 episodes in now, but we've we found some great community and conversations. So we're we're loving it. And that's like that's our thing right now. So yeah. And while you're on the internet, if you haven't already, ask about me at God is not given on the gram. Visit my website at JaniceLagata.com for all the links to all the things that I'm working on, other podcasts you can find me on, and ways that you can support. And yeah, life is too short, so make sure you're living yours. Take care of you. Be well. And I will talk to you soon. I am an E. I am an E. I am an E. X. P. A. N. G. E. L. I. C. A. L. And I don't believe in any other hell than ever be.